the goal is to have tools that can be applied more on a farm scale. So while you can see general patterns year on year on BYDB that, and the aphids that is reflected in the weather, you also have differences geographically. So different parts of the country will be higher risk if they're near a coast and they get less frost, etc. So it's really important that we're able to give information that is suited to particular areas. The Chagas Crops open day took place in Oak Park, Carlow a few weeks ago and there was so much happening on the day, it's taken the show some time to cover the highlights. So in this episode, we will catch up with more researchers about their work in Oak Park. You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow, and give us a review on Apple or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. This is the final show highlighting research areas from the Oak Park Open Day held in June. In this show, we chat about agronomy issues around BYDV, barley diseases, and also some health benefits that can be derived from barleys. I first chatted to Louise McNamara and Stephen Byrne, both researchers in Oak Park, about the extensive research they're doing, which will underpin BYDV advice for the future. I then caught up with Deirdre Doyle, a technologist in Chagas, to talk about ramillaria and barley, and finished off by talking to Sinead Dermody, a PhD student who is investigating how to increase beta-glutens in barley. So we'll go across to Louise and Stephen first to see how the BYDV research is going. It's not just about controlling BYDV or the aphid, it's about understanding the aphid, the virus and the plant and how they all interact because how they all interact is really what determines um, the ultimate yield loss in the crop. So what we're showing today is the main strains of BYDV that are found in Ireland following a sequencing survey across the country. We're talking about the levels of insecticide resistance that we're getting in the grain aphid and we're talking about new uh, varieties and tools that we are testing for growers to be able to use in the field against BYDV. So Louise, just behind you here I see there's a great big tower. What's, what's the purpose of that? So the suction tower, we have three of those. They're basically like tall hoovers that point at the sky and hoover in aphids flying above them. Um, so we have one in Ashdown in Dublin, one here in Oak Park and one in Cork. And they run 365 days a year and they monitor aphid migration, long distance migration. And then we can test the aphids that we capture and see what levels of virus is out there and what levels of resistance is out there. And we pair that with in-field um, monitoring, which Jack is talking about today in his project, the Aid Project, where we look at yellow trapping, which is yellow bowls in the field, and visual searching in the field for aphids. And we see which tool, so is it the suction towers, the yellow trapping, or the in-field searching that will be best for farmers to be able to predict the risk in their crop to help them in, to inform whether or not they need to do uh, treatment for BYDV. And how large an area does the towers cover, or supposed to cover? Research suggests that they cover anywhere between 40 to 80 kilometres, but we have um, farms within the radius of each of the towers, a part of the project, so we can test if the numbers they're finding in the field relate to what is seen as suction tower. And in terms of the results that, that, that you're getting, how is that going to feed into farmer advice? Is that, is that currently feeding in at the moment or are we a little ways away from that? So we're a little ways away from that. So the farmers involved, we've got 23 growers involved, they do get their aphid numbers ongoing. And so they send in their samples every two weeks or every week and we give them the numbers. But numbers is not the full picture and that's why we're, we don't put out the numbers to everybody yet. So it's not just the number of aphids. When you look at aphids in a trap or in a field, you don't know looking at them what proportion is carrying virus. So it's not just the aphids itself that's a problem, it's the virus they're carrying. That's what does the real damage. So we are developing tools where we'll be able to test much quicker for growers if the aphids in the field or in the suction tower actually are carrying virus. So that's the real risk. 
Okay, Stephen, I'm going to bring you in at that point. Um, Louise mentioned about the diversity of uh, the virus that's out there. What sort of uh, process are you putting in place to try and figure out that diversity? Actually, before we go there for that far, what sort of diversity is there anyway, do you know? Well, in terms of yellow dwarf viruses, they're divided into two groups. We have our luthioviruses, uh, which contain our barley yellow dwarf viruses, such as MAV and PAV. Uh, then we have our poleroviruses, which contain our serial yellow dwarf viruses, uh, such as RPS and RPV. So there's many different strains of viruses, and we would need to know which viruses are present, typically found in Irish barley crops. And do we know that at the moment? So until recently, much of our knowledge about uh, what viruses were present in our crops came from uh, serological testing, so antigen type tests. But these suffer from a number of weaknesses. Uh, for example, we only have an, a test that can test a limited range of yellow dwarf viruses, and they also suffer from uh, cross-reactivity. So for example, we can uh, test a crop um, and we can get a result back as being positive for BYDV PAV and BYDV MAV, but in fact the crop is only um, infected with one of those viruses. So Stephen, that's, that's pretty high-tech equipment that you're using to try and figure out those things now when you're getting away from those, those more basic tests, are they? Yeah, exactly. So. What we decided to do was to confirm the yellow dwarf viruses that were present in Irish barley crops. We carried out a sequencing survey um, of symptomatic winter barley crops across Ireland in 2021 and 2022. So we basically sequenced the genetic material uh, from symptomatic plant tissue to uncover the genetic code of the virus. Um, and this allowed us to identify what viruses are typically found in Irish crops. So Louise, just going back to what, in terms of picking up to what Stephen had said, um, you've MAV and PAV and different, different types of virus out there. What sort of difference would a farmer see for those in the field or what's the most common one do we have out there? So the most common one we find in the field is the MAV strain, which is quite different to other parts of Europe where the PAV strain is most common and they have different vectors. Whether or not it causes significant yield loss is a mixture of things. So yes, the different strains have different levels of severity, but also timing of infection is really important. So how, the earlier the infection comes into the crop, the more likely it is to infect the yield. Um, other, there's other things that will impact as well if there's a co-infection. So if you've got more than one strain at a time, you're more likely to get a severe infection. So in terms of the overall results, kind of where we're working to, will we be able to get a, sort of an in-season of the monitoring you talk about in terms of the, the towers and the yellow traps and all that kind of stuff, to, to be able to turn that around for in-field uh, advice to farmers across the country that's more specific to, to, to the region they're living in. Is that, is that where we're going? Yes, yeah, so the goal is to have tools that can be applied more on a farm scale. So while you can see general patterns year on year on BYDV that, and the aphids that is reflected in the weather, you also have differences geographically. So different parts of the country will be higher risk if they're near a coast and they get less frost, etc. So it's really important that we're able to give information that is suited to particular areas. Um, so our, our goal is to develop monitoring tools for farmers, so we're testing different options so that they're able to monitor their fields um, in a really robust way to know whether or not their crop is going to be at risk before they have to make that decision about whether to treat or not. And now we'll go across to Deirdre Doyle to talk about Ramillary in Barley. 
most of what we're looking at here is um, building the program to uh, protect your, your crops. So whether it's through rotation or uh, variety, particularly looking at sowing dates, whether it's early or late, and then uh, um, a special emphasis then on fungicide timings to protect uh, the crop against diseases. And you mentioned varieties there. Does varieties have a big impact in terms of remuneration? Um, unfortunately, at the moment, uh, no. Um, it is something that uh, we we don't have we don't have a recommended list. We don't have a rating for it at the moment. So, uh, not for ramulari. We do for the other diseases, so like your rinko and your netpot, but unfortunately not for ramulari. So basically, we're just trying to uh, build programs to just protect against the disease as best we can through fungicides. Okay. And is there anything in terms of the, is it all really based around fungicides then and getting the fungicide timing right or is there anything you do further back in terms of the seed? Most of what we're talking about is, is based on the fungicides so and then that we, you know, the timings are crucial, you know, it is very, very important to get this, uh, to get your timings right and to use the, the right products to uh, help against Remularia. But with the seed, um, we are doing some screening on to see the amount of uh, Remularia that is in the seed um, and also it we can also test the amount of net plot. Just in terms of the fungicides you were saying is one of the most important uh, elements of trying to control Remularia, what's, what's the thinking about that in terms of getting that right? When using your fungicides, the timing is so, so crucial. Um, so like the whole way along, not just from Ramularia, like from the work we've done um, here over the years, there's two main timings uh, when it comes to controlling disease in spring barley. So the first one would be at tillering. Um, this is designed to uh, protect your tillers against uh, all your main diseases. So your wrinkle, your mildew, your net blot. It's very important. You need to protect your, your tillers in order to have your yield later on. So if it loses tillers, you automatically lose yield. And then there's second timing, fungicide timing is when the awns are starting to emerge. So like the paintbrush stage we call it this is very important uh, particularly from a ramularia perspective um, you need to get in there to protect the crop from ramularia because if it gets into the crop then you've all, you have a problem um, and the when it comes to the types of fungicide um, at your second application there for ramularia uh, the inclusion of falbert um, is uh, essential really and now we'll catch up with Sinead Dermody to talk about beta glutens in barley so we're looking at winter barley specifically and we're looking at it from a human health perspective. So we have a range of varieties, 350 to 360 to be precise, and we are focusing on beta-glucan. What are beta-glucans? Beta-glucans are dietary fibres and they're found in barley and oats, but as oats already has a market in Ireland for food, we're looking to winter barley so as a, for an alternative application for winter barley. For, so beta-glutans, how are they useful in human nutrition? They're useful for human nutrition because they have a European Food Safety Authority health claim which suggests when you consume over 3 grams of a beta-glucan containing product that you can obtain health benefits relative to cholesterol reduction, diabetes management and there's even some preliminary work suggesting anti-cancer properties. Okay, stick them all together and you're have a soup, one of these superfood kind of jobs. Right, very good. So, um, but on the other side of it, I would hear about beta-glutens not being so good in barley. What's the, what's the issue on the other side? So it's all dependent on your end use. So as we're focusing on human food, high beta-glucan is desirable. However, for animal feed and for the drinks industry, beta-glucan is undesirable and low levels are desirable. And the reasons for this are in the brewing industry that malt extract is reduced, but I've been notified that the bigger issue is that the filters are clogged by the beta-glucan as a very viscous product. And then in animal nutrition, and this goes across all animals, uh, it reduces the intake of nutrients. So obviously this is not what you want when you're incorporating winter barley into a feed ration. Okay, so you're looking at specific barley varieties or are you looking more broadly or what do you do? We're looking at a broad panel of varieties. So they're spanning release date from 1904 all the way up to more recently grown. And they're across two row, six row, hulled and naked, so hullless barley. So we're not leaving any crop 
or any winter barley variety really left behind. They're okay. all being considered. So in terms of the, the, the barley varieties that you're looking at, what's the differential between the highs and the lows of those basic glucans? So very low varieties, which would often be seen in brewing, a brewing situation or a brewing variety, should I say, would be 2 to 3 to maybe 4%. And in a high beta glucan variety for human food, tends to be with the waxy varieties, 8 up to 11 in extreme cases. Okay, so uh, the, the final question, how, if you do get a nice variety that, that can be grown commercially, how will that manifest itself or how will that get into the food chain? What's the, what's the methodology for that? Is it, is it proce- highly processed and then put into a food or is, can it be put in whole into a food? So as it's in the grain, it could be in a flour, so from a milk product, or it could be in a more of a straight grain product, such as a granola. There's many options, and I suppose this is for the food industry to explore in greater detail. So that's it for this week, and my thanks to Louise, Stephen, Deirdre and Sinead for joining me on the show. So that's it for this series of episodes on the Open Day in Oak Park, and I would like to congratulate all the staff in Oak Park for putting on such an informative event for the tillage industry. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague, and as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.